Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to Higher Learning with Oz Rashid. Today's episode is brought to you by Celsius Energy Drink. Not because they actually sponsor us, but because I've had two of those so far to make sure I had enough energy for this podcast. David McLaren is our guest, CEO and founder of Media Valley. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Oz. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So I want to dive a little bit into your career journey, but first... You live in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm guessing that many of our listeners have never been to Vancouver, British Columbia. So I want to give you a couple minutes to tell us about the business world and living there and the quality of life. Sell us a little bit on Vancouver, British Columbia. No problem. So Vancouver is an amazing place to live and work because in this city, it's truly about balance. So sport, you can sail or windsurf or swim in the morning. You can hike in the afternoon and you can be skiing in the late afternoon. Wow. And you can do that for like nine, 10 months out of the year. Wow. So it's nice. It gets a little cold during the winter, of course, sure. but it's quite temperate. And for those that have heard about Vancouver, it rains a little bit here, maybe a little bit more than some places, but it means it's extremely beautiful and green and blue here. Yeah. So I've spent some time out there. I think it's one of the most beautiful places in North America. I have family in Seattle and I was fortunate to visit them always in the summer. So I always was like, how is this not the most popular city in the US? It was sunny. It was bright. And then my family told me that hey, it can be a little bit overcast about nine months of the year. So you're kind of getting the, the good timing, but I love it up there. And I agree with you. The fact that it's so outdoors and there's just like so much culture. I just, I just have really enjoyed every time I've been there. I'm interested. What's the technology scene like out there? Technology is good because we have good life-work balance. We attract a really good base in this city. So I'm in SaaS, as you said. So Media Valet is a digital asset management company and software provider. So we're hiring engineers and customer success people and sales and all that. And all of those different jobs, we have a really good talent pool here of people that are looking for balance in their lives. So it's a very happy pool and very balanced pool of people. And it keeps growing. It is quite a popular city in that. And I think our real estate prices to most people's chagrin would definitely agree with that in that our real estate prices keep going up every single year. Hey, hey listen, let's not let the cat out of the bag. We don't want everybody moving to Vancouver and then skyrocketing inflation and prices. Okay. Yes. We don't want any more of that. So please stay away. Unless you have <laughs> a job at Media Valley. The Chamber of Commerce is going to be like, we don't like this podcast. Don't do that, David. Uh, <laughs> prior to Media Valley, you founded a company by the name of VRX. I always love to hear about the entrepreneur's journey. So tell me, what drove you to open up your own company? And tell us a little bit about VRX. Ooh, well, I'll start a little earlier than that. I've had several companies and I started actually at 12. And it's always been in the pursuit of solving a problem that's very personal to me. And the very first one, was just helping solve a problem that my dad had. His glasses fell off when he was swimming in the lake. And actually he 
tipped over in a canoe and his glasses fell off. So I was 12. So that was a very long time ago. And I created a strap that would not only hold your glasses on your head, but if they fell off, it floated. So your glasses would then float. And this was like over 30 years ago. That was my very first product and company. And then I just continued thereafter. But it was always based on something that a pain point I was experiencing myself or was very close to me. And I wanted to solve it. And I've just continued to do that over and over throughout my career. Yeah, I really love that because you've heard of entrepreneurs that want to be an entrepreneur and then think about, well, what problem can I solve? Or like you, figure out there's a problem there and are so passionate about solving it. Have you ever, you've opened, you're a serial entrepreneur, you've opened many companies. It doesn't seem like you ever run out of problems to solve. Has that always been the case for you? Are you always kind of analyzing when you're out and about or how have, how have these come to you? So probably three a day or more. <laughs> and I stopped keeping a notebook of all my ideas because I know whenever I'm looking for my next one, it'll just be there the next day. It's not overly the best life to live because you're just always seeing problems and then your mind starts working on how to solve those. I quite like it. That's my hobby, solving problems. I like to think about business and that entrepreneurial side of things, taking something from nothing to something and being there part of that whole journey. I love it. I love the way you describe that. I've told my wife this before. I'm like the Terminator, like the T-1000 when I walk into any business and I'm looking at the lighting, I'm looking at the tip jar, I'm looking at the customer service, the offering, what kind of profitability are they getting here? And I'm kind of assessing things. And I've had to stop myself from trying to offer people advice on how I think they could be doing their business better because quite frankly, most people don't want to hear it. So now I just kind of keep this all in my head and keep a running list. And I try to apply it to my day-to-day in our business here at MSH. So it's so funny you say that because I I too, sometimes it can be a burden. It's a little bit too much going on in my head. I'd like to just go and relax at a restaurant and enjoy. But don't you find, Oz, that when you do go create that company, a year, two years in, or even sooner, there's things that you want to fix, but you don't have the time or resources to fix. And it's working well enough to leave it alone for the time being. So I find after a certain period of time, when I look at my own businesses, They're very similar to those businesses that I question beforehand. So something's not working well. I think I can do it better. I come to realize why that's true. It's just not the most important thing to solve at that time. So that owner, operator, or leader hasn't solved it yet because there's bigger things to solve at that point in time for them. I find that today and with every initiative I've been involved in. Totally true. I have a quote in my office that says, There'll always be more great ideas than there'll be bandwidth to execute. And to your point, I find that most companies, even the most successful companies, do maybe two to three things really, really well. And then there's probably areas of opportunity all across the rest of the business. So you're 100% right. You can't prioritize everything because by definition, it's not a priority at that point. So I 100% agree with you. And I, and I find that to be a very good call out by you. So VRX, tell me a little bit, because that was in the hospitality space. I'm interested in that business. Was this the first really big business that took off for you or was it prior businesses that you had opened? It was the largest by number of employees. Okay. And that business, I was coming back from a trip to the Philippines and I had went to this little tiny island called Boracay. And this was now 22 years ago. And coming back from that, I was trying to figure out why very few people had ever been to Boracay. It was still seven kilometer island, number top three beach in the world at that time called White Beach absolutely stunning 
seven kilometer beach with sand like icing sugar, so much oh, that you wow. can't get it off your skin. There was very few pictures of it available. And 22 years ago, most destinations you still found by brochures, mm. printed brochures. So I came back with this great idea that I was going to hire a bunch of photographers, send them to all the 300 top destinations from North America, take a bunch of photos, and then sell that license, that library of photos to small travel agencies around the world to compete against the Expedias of the world. Well, my first customer was Dollar Rent-A-Car. My second customer was Virgin Holidays. And my third customer was Expedia. So that business model went out the window really quickly. And when I sold that business 15 years later, about 10% of our customers were small travel agencies. And 80% of our customers, 85% of customers were the hotels themselves in those destinations. And throughout those 15 years, it was interesting. The demand for that content went from SMBs to mid to online travel agencies, to hotels and back and forth like three or four times. Wow. Because the market kept changing. But in the end, we represented 15,000 hotels in 122 countries around the world. And we were effectively doing photography as a service, like software as a service. And now we are shooting each hotel at least once a year because they were upgrading a room class or one of the amenities or something changed. Even if it was they decided to put chocolates on a pillow, we'd have to go shoot the rooms or they were replacing a water bottle, the water bottle brand, or they're putting TVs in. So I remember when flat screen TVs went in, we had about 8,000 hotels at the time. Flat screen TVs became popular and we had to go reshoot pretty well every one of those hotels over the span of 18 months. That is fascinating. The first thing you I, I hear when you say that is we talk about a lot here at our company and every company about the customer journey, right? And they really want you to target kind of that ideal customer profile, that persona. And many companies might have two to three, right? Yours seem to be changing on maybe an annual basis, if not more. That had to be extremely complex on how you had to keep pivoting and keep changing with the market. Did that invigorate you? Was that exhausting? How did you handle that at the time? Oh, it's what I live for, solving problems. <laughs> So every year to two years, our ICP changed. And effectively, it was the ownership of the content. Who was to own it? That kept changing in the travel industry. So we had to keep pivoting. And I love that challenge. It's why I start businesses and why I stay in business. I love that. I love that. I want to jump into the hiring questions, but I want to ask about Media Valley real quick. You talked a little bit about solving customers' problems. Tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about what problem Media Valley solves. Oh, we solved the challenge of managing a lot of digital assets for organizations. So these are photos, videos, animations, 2D and 3D graphics, audio files, fonts, et cetera. Now, for us as individuals, think of the challenge we have managing our own photos. So I will take some photos. My wife will take some photos. Our kids will take some photos. They all sit in our individual phones, maybe on our computers, Sometimes we share folders, sometimes we don't. How do you access all this even within a family or amongst your friends? That is an exponential scale when it comes to an organization. So within an organization, it's by individual, by team, by department, by region. It just keeps becoming more exponential. The larger a company is, the broader a company is. And that's where digital asset management comes in. We create a single source of truth for their assets, a central library on the cloud, and we use AI to aggregate it and then identify it. 
So by people, by object, by text, by spoken word, we use AI for that, artificial intelligence, to help identify them and make them more discoverable. And of course, they can add keywords and categorization as that as well. But it's all about security, accessibility, distribution, and overall, just increasing the ROI of those assets. So people aren't recreating assets that they already have in their library per se. So our customers range from universities to nonprofits, high-tech, low-tech, manufacturing, CPG, retail, wide range, and global. So all over the world and across all industries. So we find we're geographically agnostic as well as industry agnostic, because it doesn't matter the content of those assets. It's the assets themselves that we manage for those organizations. Wow, that is fascinating. Really cool stuff. I'm sure anybody listening to this, between the work-life balance, between Vancouver and the cool stuff that your company is doing, I can't imagine it wouldn't be appealing. So that's awesome. Let's dive into the hiring. So I want to ask you, I got to imagine you've been involved with hundreds, if not thousands of hires for your own company. Do you have maybe an overall hiring philosophy in terms of the type of people you want to bring into your organization? So from a hiring philosophy with regards to who are we looking for and how do we run those interviews, it's truly focusing on the heart. Who is that person themselves? Not what they think people want them to be. When we go on an interview, especially myself, I want to know truly who that person is. What gets them out of bed every day? What excites them? What do they want to be doing on a day-to-day basis? It's that excitement, that passion. And I want to find that true authentic self of that person. Because if you can find that and you can match it with a company and responsibility and role within that organization, it's the perfect match. They're excited to come into work every day. They're excited for the challenge. And even when times are tough, and we all have tough times in our roles, they're excited to tackle those roles because they like what they're doing. They like the organization. They like their role. They like their responsibility, their accountability, just basically what they do every day. They like the challenge. If you can find that in an interview, you can find that person. It's truly an enjoyable interview to be in. Totally agree. I would think that that's hard to measure in your typical kind of sterile interview process, maybe one to two to three interviews on a Zoom, one on site. Do you do anything maybe out of the box to try to be able to understand that level of heart and that that behavioral attributes that you're looking for? So I'll cover it two ways. The way I hire for senior executives, for myself, for my own team, as well as how we do it as an organization. So as an organization, we're first doing just cultural interviews, getting so first the senior manager is going to work with our HR team to find a profile, to establish a profile, go out, do the posting, get candidates coming in. And we're trying to find, of course, based on experience, based on skill set. But from there, our HR team is really trying to find someone that's going to fit our culture. So our culture, we're looking for someone who's quick to smile, right? Who's happy, who's confident in their experience and what they're doing. And then from there, the experience per se isn't super important. Because it's more the personality that we're looking for. Once we do that, they'll sit with the manager, the senior manager. Senior manager will interview them. If there's a good rapport between them, it goes to a team interview. And in the end, we have a single cultural interview. And the same people go through the same cultural interview just to make sure it's a great culture fit for our team. That works really well for us. I've done that for kind of the last three companies. And it works super, super well for us. 
whether you're hiring locally or afar. Now, for me personally, I do most of my interviews by coffee in person. So we go through that same process with regards to how the team interviews, the cultural interview, but I'm actively involved in the very beginning, first identify people and going out for coffee with them. Once I find someone that really jives well with me, then I send them for a team interview and then for that final cultural interview. Because again, everyone goes through a very consistent cultural interview to make sure we're finding people that fit our overall team really well. What about a favorite question you might have? Is there a question that you love to ask that you feel like really gets to the root of maybe some of these cultural and behavioral things? I do in that I'll ask people what gets them out of bed every day. What's going to get them to jump out of bed and be excited for that day? And it's amazing the answers that I get for that. It's not, what do you want to do in this job? What do you want to do in five years or any of those things? Or why do you want this job? Because I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in truly what excites them. And the question that I ask, what gets you out of bed every day? What excites you to get out of bed every day? And that one, for some reason, it resonates with people. They're like, oh, yeah, some days I just don't want to get out of bed. But for those days that you do, what are you excited about? And it's truly, oh, I love to solve problems or I love to dig through it. This is an Excel spreadsheet that I really want to dive into. And for some people, that's really important. For some people, I just want to get on the phone and talk to people. I get so jazzed by just talking to people. You know, for some roles, that's really important. And finding that true, authentic excitement, drive, that's what I'm looking for. And you know when you're getting an authentic answer because they lean in and they go, oh my God, David, I love when I brought this challenge. I just spring out of bed because that day I know I'm going to get to tackle that all day long. I'm looking for that wide-eyed, leaning in excitement. Then if that matches the role, I know I've got a great candidate. I love that. You're going to think this is a setup, but I've got a similar question at the end I'm going to ask you. So keep yours in mind because I'm going to come back to that. Really love that though. Do you have a, and it could be you interviewing for a job or you interviewing somebody for a job, but any particular memorable interview experience, either good or bad, and you don't have to name names, but anything that comes to mind when I ask you about that, because I think our audience really loves to get kind of that inside baseball look. So I've got a bad one for you. So I interviewed this person. I really liked them. Everything that I looked for, and this is about 15 years ago. So really liked everything about this person, thought they were an amazing candidate. Put them in front of my management team, thought they were amazing. Put them in front of the cultural interview, did that. Pass with flying colors. So we're thinking, this is great. I don't need to do reference checks. Because mm. reference checks always take longer. And I'm excited. I want to get this person on the team as fast as possible. But I'm like, no, reference checks. It's been drilled into me by mentors. Reference checks. Did the reference checks. And the very first one, a couple of the answers were kind of weird. And it was supposed to be the person's senior boss drilled into it. And it ended up being their roommate that was acting as their boss. And they answered some of the questions pretty good, but something seemed funny. And every reference after that was a friend. I went through four and this person was completely not the person who they showed up to be. Com the resume was completely fake. Fooled me, fooled six managers. It really 
shocked me. And to this day, I still remember it just because every time we hire, there's always that feeling when you think you found someone amazing, let's just rush through the process. And I'm not an HR professional. So HR professionals know never to do that. But as an entrepreneur, sometimes our emotions, we get carried away with them and we want to jump in and go with our gut. Reference checks, reference checks, reference checks. Always do them. Okay. I got to ask a follow-up. Did you call it out? Did you give the feedback? How did you handle it with the candidate? I called them back, called them on it, and they literally just hung up on me. After going through the interview process, they hung up on you. Yep. Because I was curious. Like at this point, I've kind of gone past the shock, maybe a little bit of anger, called the person up and said, hey, this is my experience. Kind of what's going on? Click. That was it. This is in the days before LinkedIn, before a lot of social. So we didn't have a lot of the ways we have today to see some of the person's online profile, how they show up. This episode is brought to you by MSH. MSH is an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A truly global company operating in more than 35 markets across three different continents, MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business challenges. Find out more at talentmsh.com. When you ask for references and they give them to you, and it's not like 100% the most stellar sterling reference you've ever gotten, immediate eyebrow raise. I mean, because if you can't get one to two to three people legitimately who have worked with you that can speak on your behalf, well, that's probably a big red flag. I love that story, man. I'm so, now I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on the lookout. I'll make sure we do our references every time here at MSH. Let me ask you this: You are the CEO and founder of your own company, and I know, like you know, it's a very personal thing to hire people into your organization. And of course, I'm sure you've thought about what is the experience we want to give candidates mm. when we're interviewing them, right? What is the experience that you try to give candidates so they get a feel for? whether it be a realistic job preview or they understand the culture at Media LA, what are some of the things that maybe you do to kind of enhance that experience? In addition to going for coffee in person, (laughs) which I find super, super impactful. And I highly encourage my management team and all the leadership team to do that as well. You have to put your best foot forward. You want to not only show them the great things of your organization, but also some of the challenges. So once someone is hired, We always follow up 30, 60, 90 days later in those segments to find out how they're doing. Is this what you expected? Was there anything unexpected? Because we want to make sure someone's making a well-educated choice. Of course, you're going to sell them on your company and on the role, but you want to make sure they're going to be successful. So that whole idea of setting someone up for success, it's truly telling them the pros and the cons of that role and of the organization. What are we working on? What are we striving towards? What are we challenged with? But also what's working really well, why you're gonna love it. So going through that, I find truly sets someone up with the highest level of probability of being successful. I love that advice. And I would tell that to every hiring manager, do not try to make your company and your role something it's not. I find that candidates really appreciate honesty. It's all about fit, right? And so showing the good with the bad and being realistic in terms of what they will expect almost always leads to better outcomes. Then if you get into sales mode and you start overselling, no one ever likes to feel like they got a bill of goods that they didn't expect when they came in. So 
I think that's really good advice and something that people should definitely heed because you want to know everything that you're walking into because taking a new job is a big deal. And so not everything is puppy dogs and lollipops, as I like to say. So make sure that they understand that coming in. When you miss on somebody, okay, because we've all done it before. Yeah. What do you typically look back at and say, I wish I would have done X or how did you miss? Usually it's a response within an interview. So I can only talk about my own personal experience in interviewing when I've hired somebody. And I can look back when I've made a mistake, I can look back and usually see an area in an interview where something sounded just kind of off. But for whether it's time or for some reason, I didn't drill further into it. Or in my own mind, I explained it away. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be really careful of explaining things away from our own perspective. I've learned a long time ago to take the time or book another call to be able to drill into that, to have them explain it so that it does make sense to you. If it doesn't make sense, ask further questions. You know, the five whys until you get to the true answer, just keep asking until you find out. And once you're comfortable and you feel it's a good, authentic response, then you can make an educated choice on that person. When I've made a mistake, I haven't done that. I love that. Great advice. All right. I want to move a little bit more back into Media Valley and your role as CEO. Company's grown quite a bit. How many employees do you have? We have 100 today. Okay. Tell me a little bit about what the day in your life of your job looks like as the founder and CEO. Oh, I don't know. This is going to inspire anyone to be an entrepreneur. You know, I get hundreds of emails a day. So there's just email management throughout the day. I wake up. I do make a point to wake up and go through my morning routine before I look at my phone. Mm. So I won't look at email or text before I've gone. I've woken up and had a little bit of time for myself. That can be brushing my teeth, having a shower, just whatever that morning routine is. And it's changed throughout the years for me. But I always make sure I have a little bit of personal time just to wake up, get grounded in the world. Then I'll open up my workday. It's usually pretty early. And then I'll go through my emails, scan through those, what's important, what's come in from overseas, different time zones. Then I jump into my calls. And I will do anywhere from 10 to 15 or more Zoom calls a day. Zoom or Teams used to be all Zoom. Now maybe it's a bit of half and half Teams and Zoom. And we see we're definitely trending towards teams nowadays, but I spend the majority of my day, 90% on those type of calls. And then in between those, I'm doing coffee whenever I can, more so now than the last couple of years, because sure. I manage by coffee. When I'm seeing one of my senior leader team members, leadership team members, I want to be in person if I can. So that'll be when I'm remote, that might be somewhere near my home in Deep Cove. In BC, it's just about 20 minutes outside of Vancouver or in Yaletown, where our head office is in Vancouver. If I can get to see them in person, that's my priority. So ideally, I want to do one of those a day if I can. But the rest of my time, it's going to be online on a call, Zoom or Teams. It's going to be email, spreadsheets, budget management, <laughs> or coffees in person in that order. I've been called a little bit of a coffee connoisseur in the past. So I'm just kind of excited to come to Vancouver and visit you. And you got to take me for your favorite cup of joe, okay? I got three places to take you. I love it. I love it. All right. This goes back to this, what I said earlier. I'm going to frame it a little bit differently, though. What are you working on right now that you are really excited about? Getting you up out of bed in the morning, getting you going. 
For me, it's features, but for features for our product, but it's specifically features that I'm really interested in things that we can bring out in our product that is a whole new market for us that maybe we don't know about today, that we're definitely not marketing to, we're not really seeing demand for. I've heard of something. There's a couple maybe things that I've heard that pique my interest. And I start scratching away to see if there's actually a market there that we can fit. That really excites me again, solving problems, but I'm solving a digital asset management problem outside of the digital management industry, that traditional industry. I'm going to somewhere else where I think they have a problem managing digital assets, but it's not usually wrapped up in a digital asset management industry or solution. That excites me. And today, I'm pursuing two of those today that I'm really excited. And I I spend a lot of those emails and Zoom and Teams calls on those right now. And I'm not going to mention them because my competitors, I don't think know about them yet, but they'll come out soon. Yeah, they definitely listen to this podcast. So let's keep it on the down low for right now. We want to make sure Vancouver, the new projects we got going to Media Valley, we're good. All right, I got to ask you, I saw a LinkedIn post says Media Valet was selected by the Jane Goodall Institute to digitize artifacts for her many years of preservation and conservation work. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that came about? Yeah, a few years ago, the Jane Goodall Institute reached out to Microsoft to help preserve Jane's legacy. So 60 years of research. That research would be camera trap videos, handheld videos, photos, written notes, primarily in Swahili, as well as handwritten maps and that and diagrams. 60 years of that research, all observational research, observing chimpanzees in their natural habitats. They wanted to preserve that for future generations. So they turned to Microsoft, said, hey, with the cloud, with Microsoft Azure, this cloud platform you have, can you help us? Microsoft turned around and recommended and introduced them to us. And as a digital asset management system, we're built exclusively on Microsoft Azure, and we're now available over 60 data center regions globally. So they felt that we would be in the best position to help them. So fast forward three years, and today, this is what we're charged with, preserving Jane Goodall's legacy for all future generations. So this is pretty cool. And it's one of the exciting projects that I'm personally working on in Helping preserve that is taking it, taking all of those assets from around the world in multiple different silos, again, photos, videos, anime, written notes, as well as diagrams and maps and that, having all that digitized, which we don't do, they're working with third parties to digitize, putting all of that into Media Valet, and then using artificial intelligence, AI, to help identify those assets, identify the researchers, identify any written notes. So we identify it right now in Swahili and that then make that available in English, searchable through Swahili or English. And in the future here, multiple other languages. So we do that. And then we went a step further with AI is we started using facial recognition on the chimpanzees themselves because they're very much like human beings and their faces are very, very unique. So Hmm. we use the same principles and worked with some universities that JGI, Jane Goodall Institute, had worked with in the past to take a facial recognition model, bring that into Microsoft Azure, hone it, 
So now it's working in most instances over 96% to identify that, yes, we know it's a chimpanzee, but then which chimpanzee is it? And we can identify chimpanzees that Jane has worked with herself for decades. And it goes beyond just identifying chimpanzees within the content of her research. We then get to use that to be able to track chimpanzees around the world and prevent poaching. Identify chimpanzees that have been found around the world. Where did they come from? And we're just starting to get into that because as we are putting more and more content of chimpanzees into Media Valet, we're just building up a database of chimpanzees that, yes, are in different refuges around the world. So if they do get out, if there is poaching that happens, if they are found, we can identify them. So that, and then really exciting for future generations, is making all that research available, accessible, and discoverable for not just future generations, but future generations of scientists to help propel human knowledge forward will that with all that research that Jane and her scientific team has done over the past 60 years. I'm so juiced right now. I mean, we got to be the only podcast talking about chimpanzee facial recognition. What an honor it is to to be awarded work like that. And, and, and like you said, there's a big impact there for future generations. I really love that, man. I can just, your passion is just coming off the screen. So amazing stuff. I want to ask you a little bonus question for you here. Talked about the Jane Goodall Institute. You're wearing Patagonia. I saw you post about that. You talked about your love for the outdoors. I'm interested what you think a company and a CEO's role is in terms of environmental impact. And if that is part of our responsibility, and if that's one that you take personally charge for. It's a great question. And, you know, I think in the early days for me, I really focused on the startup itself. I always thought until it got to a certain size, you had to focus on it itself, that little kernel and encourage it along, propel it. Now, today, I would probably start a lot earlier on in that journey and making sure right from the day one of a startup, you're doing everything you can for the environment. Now, I sold VRX Studios in 2015, 15 years after I started it. And I started Media Valet in 2010. So we're 12 years old today. In the last three, four years, I've started to think more about how we can be helping the environment and giving back to our planet. And today, more than ever, I think about it. The next startup, whatever that is from that notebook that I'm not keeping anymore, I'm going to start from day one and focusing on it. So today, what are things that I think that we can do? We can do everything possible to make sure as a company, we're not doing things that are going to tax the environment. For an example, at Media Valet, you're no longer required to come into our offices. It's completely up to you whether you work at home, work abroad, where they may be, or work in our offices. By doing that, we take away the need for people to come into the office and to, in that commute, burn gas, whether they're taking a car in or a bus, however they're getting in other than walking or bike, but you're hurting the environment. So we took that away. What else can we do? Well, we're on the cloud. We're cloud built. So we don't have our own servers on premise taking out that energy here. We're dispersing it across a cloud provider. And we've chosen Microsoft Azure 
we chose them before this. So I can't say we chose them because of the environment, because I chose them back in 2010. But one of the things I'm leaning into heavily now with Microsoft is what they're doing to make sure that Microsoft Azure is not just carbon neutral, it's carbon negative. So they're doing everything they can by 2030 become carbon negative. Today, they're carbon neutral. So that to me is something I want to continue to lean in. Where else in the business? Like we no longer print paper. We're paperless. We have one printer in the office, but it's in a storeroom. It hasn't been sold yet. But when we do get rid of it, can we sell it? Can we repurpose it? Can we recycle it? Again, when even as small as garbage in the office, everything gets recycled to the smallest level. When we're getting rid of something, we don't want it to go to landfill. It's the very last thing we want to do. You don't always have to donate time or donate money. If you can't do that, think of what you can do in your day-to-day today just to be better on the environment. I really love that. I would also say your company is digitizing things that are typically on paper. And while the good people at Dunder Mifflin might be upset about that, I think that's contributing to the environment in a way that is really beneficial as well. So you're inspirational around this, man. I really, I really appreciate that. Caused me to kind of sit back and think a little bit about what I can do and what we can do. Last question. If you were able to amplify one nugget of career advice that you learned along the way that maybe you didn't know at the beginning of your career, what would that be? Always be authentic. I think a lot of times when we want a job and whether that's internal or external, but I mean, when you're going into a job interview, I find a lot of people trying to be what they think I want them to be. And if they're authentic and we hire that authentic person, they're set up for success because they're not trying to be something they're not. So I always want people to be authentic. I try to be authentic every day that I show up, good and bad. You know, there's good and bad to being authentic. And we always want to be learning and improving, but learning and improving from that authentic self. So that authentic self keeps getting better. I love that. I'm thinking of a quote I heard from Jay Shetty, where he said, I was being the person that I think you think I am. Right. And I just thought the levels to that is really, really interesting. And just being your authentic self and not thinking about so much what you want your perception to be or what this person expects you to be. I got to be honest, it's very freeing. Right. Some of it comes with the ability to be a CEO of your own company. And some of it, you're freed a little bit from those things. And you can be even more of your authentic self than maybe you were previously, or maybe it's just maturity. But I think it's really good advice and something that people should really hold on to because why be somebody else? Be yourself. And as leaders, Oz, I think it's like, for me, I challenge my team to be authentic. Show up as your authentic self, good and bad. Bring your whole self to the table. I really love that, man. David, you've been a great friend and a great advisor for me. I'm very appreciative of all the time you've spent answering my questions in the past. And I'm really thankful that you came on the pod, man. So thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Oz. Always a pleasure, man. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.